it in here. It just feels good. This feels good. So thank you guys. I have also really enjoyed working with the heart of David, obviously the band, and uh, Jose and Dana, and Rick, you know, that whole crew is just amazing. Uh, so thank you guys for letting me come in and play and be with you guys. It's been really good. Well, I just kind of want to share a little bit of my personal story. I figure like we're family and we're all a part, of, we're all in this together, right? So I want to kind of just tell you a little bit of my story, a little bit of my journey and then say, hey, let's lock arms, let's do this thing together. Because I think sometimes it's easy to start to feel kind of isolated, like, am I the only one that's really trying to do this? Or are there really others? And we need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to look each other in the face and go, you're not in this alone. Like, there are people all over the world who are, oh, there it was. Sorry. There's a big difference between this and this. <laughs> Give me on a bunny trial on that, but every time I see in the Bible the new song, I see sound systems. <laughs> That's what I see. Sound. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit of my story, but first I want to pray again. So Holy Spirit, I do ask that you would continue to come into this room, to come and move with your presence. And we thank you that you are here, that you are a good God, that you are eager to speak. You're even more eager to speak than we are eager to hear. So, Lord, we tune our ears to you, and we ask that you would take just weak words or, like, little phrases, and you would make them like an arrow in the hearts. You would make them like an arrow. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, my whole life, from the time that I can remember, from the time I was very little, I wanted to know what is the point? Why? And I say this in every message that I preach, but how many of you are why people? Why? Why? I wanted to know why. I drove my parents insane. I wanted to know why about everything. But the biggest question I had of all was why do I exist? Why am I here? I grew up in a tiny little town in West Texas, in the middle of nowhere, just dust and dirt everywhere, right on the oil field in Sundown, Texas. And I felt like I was on a runaway freight train on the inside in Mayberry. You know, I was like, is it, what is the point? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And I remember I would go outside and I would look at the stars and I would think about God and I would go, God, I know you're there. I know you're real. At least I think you are. I think you're there. But why am I here? If the whole point of my life is to get into heaven, then just kill me now. You know what I mean? Like, why do I exist? What is the point? And I remember this used to really, really drive me because I couldn't, I knew that I would never find peace. I'm the kind of person that couldn't find peace in my soul without finding purpose. I couldn't do it because everything felt vain. I was very much like the writer of Ecclesiastes. I would sit and I would take my heart. Ecclesiastes was my favorite book as a teenager. Wow. So that tells you a lot wow. about what kind of teenager I was. <laughs> Real happy soul. Yeah. <laughs> and I was much like the writer of Ecclesiastes. I would sit and I would imagine. You know, I would take my heart to the heights and I would say, maybe the purpose of life 
is to be rich and make lots of money. And so I would sit and ponder, okay, I can make lots and lots of money. And then I could do this and I could do all this. I could travel the world. I could have this much pleasure. I could do this and I could give money away. And then at the end of all of that, I die. What was the point? So I say, okay, maybe it's humanitarian deeds, which by the way are good. Money's good, humanitarian deeds are good. So I would sit and I would think, okay, I'm gonna do humanitarian deeds, I'm gonna feed the poor, I'm gonna go and maybe impact some people, I'm gonna pour my life out, I'm gonna pour it out, pour it out, give, 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 give everything that I can, and all of a sudden at the very end of that, I die. What was the point? So I said, I'm gonna just eat, drink, and be merry. I'm gonna have a party. I'm just gonna be happy. So I'm like, and then I'm just gonna be happy and have a party and just celebrate and indulge and indulge and indulge and indulge, and then I die. Yeah, this is like the chorus of my message. <laughs> and then I die. What was the point? I remember that I would, I would sit and think every path that I could go on, no matter which path I would pursue, I had to find a meaning that was bigger than this life. I had to find meaning beyond the grave because life is too short. Life is a vapor. Life is just a moment. It's so quick and it's over. What was the point of this breath, of this vapor, of this moment of life? Because we're all gonna die. And at the end of the day, we have to have fulfilled the purpose. So I, as a, as a teenager, I began to look to the heavens and I said, God, I'm never gonna find what I'm looking for until I find what you're looking for. Never. I'm never gonna be satisfied until I satisfy you. So what are you looking for? Then I began on a whole other journey. What does God even want? Like, what was he after? Because my ultimate purpose can only be found in the one that created me because only he has the right to say, you did it. You did that thing. You fulfilled your purpose. My mama can't tell me that. My teachers can't tell me that. My friends can't tell me that. I can't convince myself that I did it, that I did the right thing. I hit the mark. I fulfilled my purpose. There's only one set of minds, there's only one judge who is the creator, and the reason he has the right is because he has the blueprints. He's the one that wrote the story. He's the one that said, I know what a real human should be. I have the blueprints. Only he can say, you did it. You did that thing, you did that human thing. So I began to wrestle with God and I said, well, what do you want? Like, what is your purpose? What is your point? Because I have to live in a way that pleases you or else this whole thing is vain. I remember hearing um, a very famous uh, movie actor, because I think about this whole Ecclesiastes heart a lot, and I hear it, it you know, you hear different people that kind of have that, that heart cry. I think all of us do to a certain extent. I remember hearing a very famous movie star. He said, you know, he was kind of like that rags to riches kind of story. He lived in the slums and then he came out of the slums and he went to Hollywood and he made it big. And so he, they were being, he was being interviewed and the interviewer was like, what does it feel like that you, you finally arrived, you made it? And he goes, it's boring. Wow. I heard of a famous football player who was like, I mean, he was like, you know, the Super Bowl winner, I can't remember his name because I don't really follow football, but he was famous. <laughs> You guys would know him. Um, and they said, you know, he was like, yeah, what does it feel like that you now won all these championships? And he goes, is this it? He actually says, is this it? So even at the pinnacle, at the peak of what humanity celebrates, what we would celebrate, 
and we clap our hands and say, that's a human, that's what humanity is, it doesn't do anything for the vacuum in the soul. It really doesn't. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, that's why you're here. That's why we're spiritual beings. That's why we reach up to God. Because nothing satisfies. It really doesn't. There are many good pleasures in this life that God has ordained, but at the end of the day, there is you are a world within this world. Most of life takes place on the other side of your face. <laughs> like, literally, nobody can get in there. It's just you and God. And most of the time, you're sitting in rooms like this in your own head, or you're asleep. You know what I'm saying? And we do interact with people, and we love each other. But most of your life is on the inside. That's good. So I went on a journey, and I was like, where is my point? What is my purpose? And so I, I remember I went on um, my first fast. I, someone had told me, or I'd heard, you know, that if you fast, it kind of speeds thing up, things up if you need to hear from God. So I was desperate. And at the time, I was reading the book of Exodus. I had a serious crush on Moses when I was growing up. Sounds like Naomi. Moses was my man. <laughs> I love everything about Moses. My friends call me Moses of Bethany because I love Moses and Mary of Bethany. So they're like, that's Moses of Bethany. <laughs> so I, I was reading Moses and I was all these encounters. And so I was looking for this amazing encounter with God and I was going to get my mission. I was going to get, you know, I was wanting like an angelic visitation or something dramatic. So I said, I'm going to fast. That's the way to get it. Which sometimes he will show up with an angel. To be honest, I don't want to make fun of that stuff because he does do that a lot of times. So I, I start to fast. And I mean, it's like, it's like noon, you know, and I'm faint. I'm, I'm like, I'm starving. <laughs> and I'd already had like a cappuccino with a lot of milk, you know, with a lot of cream on it. <laughs> and then I had some tomato soup, you know, but if I didn't have to chew it, it didn't count, you know. I mean, this was my fast. <laughs> and every day I would lay on the couch, just faint, you know, just in starvation mode. <laughs> so dramatic. My, my mother's always like, you're so dramatic. I'm like, I'm not dramatic. This is real. This is a thing. I just feel it. I feel everything. I'm very passionate. I was hungry. I would lay on the couch very dramatically. And I would say, God, you know, here I am. Your servant. Speak to me. And I would just wait, you know. And I remember I heard what I would call the internal audible voice of the Lord, which I don't say that. I am like a huge skeptic, so you have to know that about me to qualify my words. I can probably think of five times I've heard what I would call the internal audible voice of the Lord. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. This was one of those times, and he said, I love you. And I got off the couch, and I was like, I knew it. I knew you didn't speak to people. Everybody knows that God loves people. I just made that up in my head. And I just kind of like stormed out. And I kept fasting because I was so desperate. I'm like, I gotta hear from God. You know, I wanted to like know who the next president was or something I could predict. Or I don't know. I wanted to know something big and epic. And I love you. I'm like, really? So the next day, the same thing. I lay on the couch. I'm faint with love. I'm just like so dramatic. My family's going, what is wrong with her? I'm like, eat something, please. And the same thing, I said, Lord, here I am again, here I am, your servant. And he says, I love you. And I was I was so frustrated. It happened again, third day in a row. 
I love you. Finally, I was like, I love you too. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go with this because there's nothing else happening. I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> so I was like, I love you too. And he says, are you satisfied with my love? And when he said, are you satisfied with my love? It was like a lightning bolt hit my spirit. And I began to go on a journey. And I began to read from Genesis to Revelation to Genesis to Revelation. And I started to see this golden thread of God's purpose of this life is the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, in all of your strength. How many times have you actually heard a message on the first commandment? I mean, I think one of the most, I think one of the most overlooked subjects in the body of Christ is the subject of God himself. We talk about so many other things which are good and we need, and the second commandment is huge. We need, it's just like the first one, is what the Bible says. But I began to see the golden thread of you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Now, again, you have to understand my personality. I was Joan of Arc. I was ready to change the world. I was ready for a revolution. When I started getting the understanding that the meaning and the purpose of my life was love, I went, love? <laughs> I seriously went, are you serious? You're telling me this whole thing is a better verses and a bunch of poetry? I mean, that's got its place, but love? Are you telling me that this is it? This is the climax of all of human history is love? I was so perplexed. So then I went on my other journey. What is love? <laughs> what is love? If all of life comes down to love, then love has to be more the momentary bliss, butterflies, romantic feelings. Love has to be more than just the euphoria. Love has to be more than this. If all of life and all of humanity comes down to love, what is love? So I begin to go on this journey and say, Lord, I'm gonna live for love, but you're gonna have to show me what it is because I have no idea. And then I begin to say, okay, I saw it in Deuteronomy, I saw it from the very lips of Jesus, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. So I started to actually try to do it. The first word that I noticed was all, all. So you think of love as kind of, you know, like the hippies, like peace, you know, like love and toleration and just everybody get together. No, 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 no. Love is as demanding as the Jealousy as cruel as the grave. It's the most hot fire that you have ever experienced. That's what the Song of Solomon says. It's the hottest flame that there is. Love. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is love. Our God is spirit. And our God is an all-consuming fire. And he has set his love on you. And that's good and that's bad. <laughs> because his eyes are on you. And he wants you, and he's after you, and he wants you, and he's after you, and he's focused, and he's not distracted. He has dove's eyes, and they look right at you, and they search you from inside out, inside out. And he's never looking away. He never turns his eye. He never overlooks you. He never misses a thing. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And he said, you, you shall love me with all. With all? I was like, Lord, can I just keep a 
But can I just keep a little bit for myself? Like all? That's a lot. I mean, maybe you didn't really mean all. Maybe you're one of those preachers that exaggerates, you know? <laughs> you didn't really mean all. <laughs> all. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Three of the four of those are internal. How bizarre is that? See, I believe that God designed the human being as a garden enclosed. Like I said a minute ago, you, this is like a galaxy of worlds sitting in this room. You're all on your own planet. <laughs> and we're just a bunch of stars sitting in here. I, we kind of reach out to each other. We make connection a little bit. And then we retreat back into our little worlds. Let me close your eyes for a second. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes. That's where God lives. If you've been born again, that's where God is. Is there anybody else in there? No. Open your eyes. <laughs> We spend so much of our internal life talking to people who are not there. So when I started to try to love God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, think about loving God with all of your mind. With all of your mind. I remember when I first started trying to do this, I was like, God, you're so hard to think about. You know what I mean? It's not natural. Like, I want you to become a natural thought. You know the thought that comes into your head when you're standing in the grocery line or you're driving in your car? You know what I mean? That thought that's in the back of your head? I'm like, how do I make you the thought in the back of my head? So I remember trying so hard to love God with all of my mind. You know that you constantly have pictures and words and conversation? You cannot turn off your mind. Your mind was designed by God for God. Your mind was designed by God for prayer. Literally, you were designed as a sacred space for God. And he's so jealous for you that he hedged you in with skin all around where nobody can actually get to you except him. That's how intimate he wants to be with you. That's how jealous he is for you. And yes, we do. I'm not saying we, obviously we love each other and that's one expression of loving God. But I'm talking about your inner life. Three of the four are inside. How many? How often do you actually think about the fact that you and God are on your planet? <laughs> we spend our time talking to people in our head. I spent so much energy, you know, talking to that guy, that drummer who bugged me, or not you. <laughs> or whoever, you know, that, that irritation that I've got to, that conflict I've got to resolve, or... In this conversation, we're talking to people all the time in our head. We're going on and on. We're telling them this. We're telling them that. We're talking to our friends. And we're talking to our da, 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 da. They're not there. Think about that. They're not in your head. What a wasted space. I believe that the most wasted space in all of the created order is the human mind. Because God is actually there. He designed you for prayer. He designed you for himself. He designed you with images and with words and with conversation constantly that we can turn to him. Now, I'm not putting us under condemnation. Obviously, obviously, all of us can't do that constantly. But the more that we try, the more we fellowship with him. The more we pull our mind to love him with all of our mind. To love him with all of our soul, like our personality, our bent. Have you ever thought about loving God with your soul? You know that you know. Sometimes in your soul, the Lord says, "I want you to lay certain things down that that are in your personality." Sometimes He says, "No, I want you to love me. That's your gifting. I want you to love me with that gifting. I want you to love me with your personality, with your angle, with your bend. You're not like anybody else. I want your love 
I want your love, not your brother, not your sister. I want your love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then with all your strength, which is the second commandment and obedience and the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. You know, we shall love the Lord our God with our strength. I remember I went on this journey and I started really trying to do this. I was probably 19, 20 years old. So, okay, I'm going to do this. And I set my heart, and I went after it hard. And I was in a prayer room because I'm a part of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, which what we do in Kansas City is we go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, of day and night prayer. And we've done it for 18 years with live music. It's been live music hasn't stopped for 18 years. So we teased that chord progression started 18 years ago that hasn't stopped. Literally, there's been a live person on an instrument and, and mostly full teens for 18 years. So that's what I do full time. But whenever I first started trying to walk this out, I really threw myself into it. And I had a prayer room to be in. And I went running hard. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love you with all my heart, all my soul. I burned all the bridges. You know, I cut all the ropes. And I was just free falling like, right into it. I was just crazy. I'm going. And then running, 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 the bam! I suddenly hit the wall of my absolute inability to, to do this and my absolute failure. And part of me said, God, this is too hard. What you are asking of me is too hard. And then it was like he whispered and he said, now you're doing it. And I was like, what? He goes, even your failure works for you if you let it. Because, the, because creating in you it's creating in you meekness. It's creating in you poverty of spirit. But it says, don't give up the aim. Don't give up the aim. What most people do is they aim, they fall, they aim, they fall, they aim, they fall, and they say, I am not aiming again <laughs> because the fall is too painful. He says, no, get up, keep aiming. Don't measure yourself. Don't evaluate your life. Just keep aiming. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. What God is asking of us is not impossible. What God is asking us is actually what we were designed to do. We were actually designed for it. And one of the things that I've realized is that we can't do it on our own. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that divine escort who happens to know the very depths of God. He knows God's inmost being. He is God. He searches the deep things of God, and he has been given to us, and he lives within us. But we must go to him. We have everything we need to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. But here's the thing. Why do you think that this is what God wants from us? And this is what I was really feeling this morning when I was praying. Because this is the way he loves you. God loves you with all of his heart, his soul. Have you thought about that? His mind. He could do anything he wants with that mind of his. He can do anything he wants. He's God. And he has set his love on you. He has set his love on you. He's not asking us to do anything that he's not doing. He loves you with all of his strength. Look around, all the created order. The stars, like diamonds in the sky. He goes, it's for you, my beloved. It's for you. 
It's all for you to get your attention. The sun that comes up every morning is telling you, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I want you, trust me. The stars above, look at the beauty I surround you with, the beauty of creation, the people I surround you with. Look, it's all for you, my love. I'm going to rule your heart. I'm calling you because life is more than this. Come on. Life is more than this. Amen. It really, really is. And in a moment, we're going to stand in front of him. And I believe at the end of the day, he's going to say, did you learn to love? I really believe that. You know, Bob Jones, who was a prophetic man, I don't know if you guys know that name, but he was a prophetic man uh, in the Kansas City area and then later on at Morningstar. And he had a death experience, uh, near-death experience. I can't remember how old he was. But he died, and he went to heaven. And he said when he went to heaven, he saw lines and lines of people. And there were, some people were wrapped in, like, their lawns. Some people were wrapped in money. Some people were wrapped in, like, sports, you know, Attire. Some people were wrapped in their music. People were wrapped in whatever was most valuable to them. And one by one, they would come to before Jesus. And he was just watching this one by one. And he gets to Jesus. And he said when he got closer to Jesus, there was just this presence of love. He said he didn't even have the words to describe. It was just love. Like love. He felt so accepted. He felt light. He felt life. He felt love, and, it, and it, he said it, he needed another word other than love because we use it too much. Because there's no word to describe it. And he gets and he stands in front of Jesus, and he starts to try to tell Jesus all that he had done on this in this life. And Jesus just looks him right in the eyes and says, "Did you learn to love?" I believe that was a real experience, and I believe at the end of our lives he's going to say, "Did you learn to love?" Did you learn to love me, and did you learn to love others? Did you learn to love? As simple as it sounds, did you learn to love? You know, when I die and I stand in front of him, no one's going to be there to tell him, you know, my portfolio. I, I always tease that. I wish I could bring my mom because she loves me so much, you know. I'm like, Jesus, why don't you talk to her? And, you know, she's, yeah. There's a few people I would not bring, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to them. <laughs> Listen to mom. But nobody's going to be there. Not my enemies, not the people that believe in me the most. Nobody. And I believe at the end of our lives, he's going to say, did you learn to love? But here's the thing. You will never love him more than you let him love you. We love him because he first loved us. That's what the scripture says. We love because he first loved us. Do you actually let him love you. Do you receive his love? When you come into his presence, do you feel like he's mad? Like he's angry? Like he's frustrated? Do you see the face of your father? Do you hear the tone of your father? You know, my father was a very good man. He's a, he is a very good man. He's still alive. He's a, he is a very good man. But growing up, he had a very defensive tone. You know, and, and I got on his nerves. I had a super high-pitched voice, really high. And I was the white child. <laughs> so you can imagine how irritating that would be for a father. I was like, why? Why is the sun there? Why is the sky blue? Because it's blue. Why? <laughs> because because I said so. <laughs> I'm like, well, why did you say so? <laughs> I drove my dad nuts, right? <laughs> why did you say so? Because I said so. Why? Why did you say so? <laughs> because I said so. Be quiet. Why not you be quiet? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> my poor dad. Now, 
now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, poor dad, I totally get it. But he had a very defensive tone, kind of, because he was irritated at me. And I remember when I would relate to God, I would think that's how God was relating to me. That whenever I would come to him, I was annoying him. Like, I would be like, excuse me, I'm here. And, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry to bother you. I don't want to interrupt you. Because I was, I, we put our, you know, our experiences with our teachers or with our fathers or whoever onto God. That's, God is not like that. God is not like man. He's looking right at you. His countenance, he says that his countenance is, he, he smiles. In the Song of Solomon, it says his cheeks are like a bed of spices. Like his face is filled with emotion. And he, the look on his face is a smile. Jesus. Like he's not mostly angry. He is angry at the wicked, but he's not mostly angry. He's not mostly sad. He's glad. He's glad that you're in his presence. He's glad that you come to him. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did this morning. You're sitting there like, oh my goodness, I just screamed at my children, and now she's telling me her daddy issues. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I don't even care if you're the dad that just screamed. He's happy to see you when you come into his presence. When you come to him humbly, and you repent, and you say, I'm sorry, I messed up. He's looking at you with delight. He actually loves you, it says in John, that as he loves Jesus, he loves you. How much? That's one of my life verses in John. How much do you think the Father loves Jesus? Think about it. Jesus himself said, the way the Father loves me, he loves you. Think about that. He loves you. He's not waiting for you to get to heaven to love you like he loves Jesus. In fact, if you've been born again, you are unified to Jesus now. You have his name. When the Father looks at you, you are clothed in the righteousness of the Son. Amen. And he looks at you with affection, with desire. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, because that's the way he loves. Because you were designed for it. You were created for it. You were created for something to die for. If you don't have anything to die for, you don't have anything to live for. Like, really, you don't. This is it. He's like, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. That's the voice of a bridegroom. He goes, this is what I did. Come, do it with me. Love me with all. In, in the Psalms, he says, forget your own people, forget your father's house. And the king will greatly desire your beauty. He's looking at us. He's pleading with us. He's like, I like you. I want you. You know, David had this revelation. David was gutsy. Like, he was so gutsy in the presence of God. Like, sometimes I'm like, chill, David. Like, come on. Do you realize what you just did? Like, come on. Put yourself on probation. Like, come on. Do you realize what just happened? We got it in the book. You know, like, how would you like all your stuff to be written in a book that everybody's going to read for eternity? Oh, thank you. And I'm like, let them be the prophets and the apostles. I don't want my stuff in there. But David was gutsy. He knew, he knew the love of God. He was confident. John the Apostle was confident. John the Apostle, by the end of his life, only referred to himself. In the book of John, he never even says his name. You know how he, when he refers to himself all throughout the book of John? The one that God loves. He says, Peter and the one that Jesus loves ran to the tomb. Peter and the one that Jesus loves. That's how he referred to himself. I'm the one Jesus, I'm the one God loves. Can you imagine? 
In the Song of Solomon, it says, you're the favorite. You're the only one. Can you imagine if you really owned it, you felt that I am the favorite? How different we would live. Then when we fail, when we sin, we would run to him instead of running away from him. Amen. If this is how you feel, then I'm coming right at you. Yeah. If this is how you feel, even in my weakness, even in my failure, even in my struggle to love you in return, then I'm coming all the way. I want to be in the presence of someone that loves me that much. We love to be around people who love us. We love to be around people who like us. You know, you're not just a project. You're not just something that makes God look good. You know, some preachers make it out like you're the mercy project that makes God look good. And we do that. We are. We are. We do make him look good as far as his mercy. But it's more than that. In John chapter 17, he actually prays, Father, I desire. Look at that word, desire. I desire that she would be with me, that he would be with me. I desire that he would see my glory. I desire that he would love me the way that you love me, Father. Can you imagine that Jesus himself is praying with such passion, such desire for you? Put your name in the text. Father, I desire that Misty would be with me where I am. That she would love me the way that you love me. Because you love her the way that you love me. Catch her up in the story. Beloved, you'll never love God more than you let him love you. If you think that he's making you jump through hoops and he's just got a book of rules and he's ready to smack it down on you at any point, you will never come to his presence. His eye is on you. He has set his love on you. His desire is for you. His heart is towards you. He is good. He is kind. This is the glory of God. The Lord, the Lord God, gracious, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in mercy. It says he delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. The one that's been forgiven much is the one that loves much. So even your sin works for you to fulfill your life purpose, which is to love him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It doesn't matter how many people you impact. If at the end of the day, you don't love him the way he loves you. That's good. That's all that matters. It's really all that matters. Because like I said at the beginning of my pep talk, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. You know, I've had cancer twice. I had cancer when I was 19. And then it came back seven years later in my leg. So that's why I walk kind of funny. And I, at 19, I had to go like, can I fulfill my life purpose? At that, you know, at that time, I was still really wrestling, trying to figure it out. Like, what is my life purpose? And I said, can I fulfill a life purpose at 19, before I've been married, before I have children, before I have a ministry, before I have any kind of impact in this world? Can I actually fulfill life purpose? Yeah, you can. Because here's the thing. It's the great equalizer. Anybody can do it, but so few will. Anybody can. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Do the Sermon on the Mount. Give the cup of cold water. Do it when nobody's looking. And you actually can be as great in God's sight and in the age to come as Billy Graham or whoever. It has nothing to do with the sphere in this life. It literally has nothing to do with it. The great equalizer is death. When we stand before him, he evaluates us on this one thing. It's the truth. He said this is the first commandment. 
That was from the lips of Jesus. If this is first, then that's the way you're going to be evaluated first. Nothing else. You know, I think of Mike Bickle, who leads the International House of Prayer there in Kansas City. He's a very dynamic man. He's very charismatic and just, you know, he takes charge of every room he walks into. He's just a dynamic man. And God has given him a global platform. It has for many years. He's millions of people. Well, he had a brother that was paralyzed from the neck down. He got injured in a football accident and broke his neck when he was 18 years old. And for something like 35 years, I mean, he could not, he couldn't even drink alone. He could do nothing. But his mind was, he was very brilliant. His mind was sharp. He couldn't even make like a wheelchair go on his own. He didn't have any, like any movement. Can you imagine as an 18 year old young man? And I remember Mike was talking about how at the end of Pat's life, he'd lived like 35 years like this. I mean, I just can't even. And he loves Jesus. Like he, he believed he was going to get healed the whole way through. He had so many prophecies and prophets, big prophets, come around and say, God's going to raise you up. You know, he had all these promises. And on his deathbed, he could hardly even swallow. And Mike took him by the hand and he, he said, Pat, you and I have the same, exact same opportunity to be great in the age to come. God does not evaluate me on the size of my ministry. He doesn't evaluate you on the size of your That's ministry. Good. He evaluates both of us on the size of our hearts. Amen. Those two men have the exact same opportunity in the age to come for the same reward, come the on. same sphere in the age to come. That's so good. If they choose, he looks at the heart. The measure of a man is his heart. It is. Like, I wish I could, I wish I could cleave my misty. I'm going to get myself by the shoulder sometime and be like, listen to what you're saying. Why do you care about so many other things? Like, this is what matters. Amen. The measure of a man is the measure of his heart. The way you respond to love. When you refuse bitterness, bitterness takes out many, many people. Many people, bitterness comes in and it just chokes out the heart. When you refuse bitterness, when you refuse to be offended, when you continue to give a tender heart to God, you continue to love Him. In the midst of disappointments and pain and loss and sorrow, you don't draw back. He says, that's gold. He says, Jesus told us to buy gold. You say, I don't want to earn anything. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about there's rewards. There's real rewards. This is faith. You have to believe that He sees and you have to believe that He rewards. There are real rewards. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about rewards. And he says, buy gold. And this is the gold that's refined in the fire. Did you learn to love? Did you stay without offense? And did you learn to love? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, we just, we say that you are so magnificent and so simple. And we love you for it. That you love to reveal these things. Jesus said, I love that children can figure this out. That even children can figure it out. Lord, I ask that we would not be wise in our own eyes, but humbly we would listen to your words. It would help us to love you the way that we are loved. With all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And in our weakness, help us to get back up and aim again. Aim again. 
aim again, run hard again, again and again and again, until death. But I ask that you would give us this tenacity. We love you and we love your ways. Thank you so much for coming. Amen. Amen. 